and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan. Now, Mark is on holiday this week, but don't worry, it isn't just me. So for the first time ever, I have a guest co-host, and I'm really excited to introduce you all to Ellie. Hello, everybody. Hi, Ellie. So Ellie is a long-time listener of the show. She's a friend of mine and Mark's. In fact, we all work together for a long time, and we would talk about true crime really often. And she's chosen today's case for me to research and present to you all. So I'm really pleased to have her guest hosting with me. Ellie, are you looking forward to this? I am so excited. I've been excited ever since you asked me to come and do it with you. I love Uh, it. Yeah. Amazing. Tell us a bit about you. What interests you about true crime? Um, So I, as you know, I've loved true crime for ages. Um, And I think it's, I'm more sort of interested in the kind of forensics and how... Mm -hmm how that kind of works out and how, you know, you can find out who killed somebody by a shoelace. I just find that so interesting. Um, yeah, and I just love you guys. And true crime podcasts are what I do my housework to. And as you know, what I have my bath to. Yeah, so. <laughs> definitely. I love it. Oh, no, that's awesome. That's what I love about this is there's so many aspects to the cases and so much more to the cases as well, which is really good. So this one especially has some interesting forensics Wild. that were found. So really good. So, what made you choose this case for us to cover? Well, I was I was watching, uh, I think it was some 60-minute programme, and I saw this case, and I think it just really highlights sort of the danger of social media, as mm-hmm. we will get on to, um, and how you can sort of almost go missing from the whole of society, but yeah. because of social media and things like that, it, you've still got that presence. Mm-hmm. And I just find it quite scary, to be yeah, honest. Yes, it is, and it's really mad, this case, because it does look at... Um, how somebody can have this whole other world and other life and you wouldn't necessarily know. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. Thank you for suggesting it. It wasn't a case I knew very much about. And then when I started researching, I was like, this is mad. It's got so many, like, (laughs) ins and outs. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so let's get stuck in. Before we start, I will just apologise in in advance, just in case anybody hears the wind behind us, because it is currently (laughs) the middle of a storm and it's crazy. So hopefully we're recording before the storm hits. And it's not too windy, but if you can hear it in the background, I'm sorry. And as always, guys, please do come and join us in all the usual places to discuss this case because we can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or you can drop us an email. And I am recording with Ellie a little bit out of sequence, so there's no Patreon thank yous this week, but instead just a very general thank you to anyone who supported us in any way. So Patreon, buymeacoffee.com, social media, everywhere. This week we return to stalking, but this is such an unusual case and could easily be the plot of a film. The twists and turns take you on an absolute roller coaster of emotion when you learn about it. It's kind of impossible to comprehend how the man at the centre of today's case, Dave Cooper, must have felt just living this nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. So Dave was new to Omaha, Nebraska, having moved to start a new job as a manager at a garage, or as it's described because this is America, a car repair shop, an auto repair shop. Um, He was recently separated from his long-term partner, Amy, who was the mother of his two children. And so at this point in 2012, Dave decided to join online dating. And I feel like this is quite early in online dating, I feel like. Yeah, it it does seem very, very early on, doesn't it? Mm. I I think it's um, important to kind of say that him and Amy did also have a a fairly good relationship. It was... Mm -hmm. um, it was, yeah. It was amicable. Their it split was, wasn't yeah. a horrible split. They were reasonably friendly for the, for the still, children. Yeah. yeah. 
So the first woman that Dave hit it off with was a woman called Shanna Elizabeth Golia, who went by the name of Liz. And the pair were really open about what they wanted. She was also a single parent. Neither of them wanted anything too serious. They seemed to be on the same page. And after a few dates, they were sleeping together and they began casually dating. Dave was really honest from the get-go that he wanted to continue seeing other women, which I didn't realise at first. So when I first researched this, I was like, Dave's a naughty boy. (laughs) And then realised, like, in another article, that actually they were both on the same page with this. Yeah, I mean, history tells us that that's never going to end well. (laughs) I I don't know about you, but it just always feels like it's one-sided. Yeah, it usually Um, feels like one-sided definitely more into this than the other. Yeah. And after about six months of the pair casually dating, Dave did meet another woman. So Dave thought she was really attractive when he met Carrie Father. So the day she brought her car in for a service in his garage, apparently he kind of looked up and was like, oh, she's so stunning. And that was like it at first sight. And he later said, I don't want it to sound like one of them goofy movies or whatnot, but when she wandered in and I saw her, I was like, hey, this is a good looking woman, which I just thought was adorable. Oh, yeah. Oh. (laughs) Good looking lady. And then after they met a second time, they decided to go on a date. This is all, this is so awkward. So they went back to Dave's apartment afterwards and Carrie told him she wasn't looking for anything serious, which matched up with what Dave wanted. And from different random reports, things were heating up a little. Yes. Mid-date, Liz arrives. Of course she did. Yep. So she said she needed to collect some things and Dave explained all of this to Carrie, who said she understood, but let's call it a night. So... Dave said his goodbyes to Carrie, she headed downstairs, and Dave buzzed Liz into the building, and she headed up, and the women passed each other in the hallway. I mean, that's the ultimate condom, isn't it, I know, crikey. Yeah, absolutely. The other ladies just turned up to pick some stuff up. Yeah. She's got stuff in my house, you're the new one. Yeah, you're the new one, so... uh... Mm. By all accounts, Carrie was a warm, lively woman who was in a good place finally, after some pretty big problems in her life. By all accounts, Carrie was a warm, lively woman who was in a good place, finally, after some pretty big problems in her life. In her late 20s, Carrie was diagnosed with depression and subsequently bipolar disorder a few years after she gave birth to her son. And by 2012, at the age of 37, she was holding down a stable job as a computer programmer that was described as her dream, and she was doing really well thanks to therapy and medication. A friend of hers said, You noticed Carrie when she walked into a room. She had a laugh, she had a smile, she lit up a room. You couldn't help but notice her. You were drawn to her. And Dave definitely was. And after that first date, which was cut short, they continued to start dating. So she wasn't that put off by Liz turning up. No, which, you know, that takes some sort of woman, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is. I don't think I could do it. I probably wouldn't go back, I've got to be honest. Mm, I, I'd struggle. <laughs> So two weeks later, on the 13th of November, the pair woke up together at Dave's. So he'd asked Carrie to stay at his when she had work commitments to kind of make things easy because of not having to travel around. And they basically said they'd see each other that evening and he headed off to work. It was just a normal morning for him. And then halfway through the morning, he received a text at work in which Carrie said she wants to move the pe- move in with him and the pair kind of lived together. This was really unexpected. Bizarre. Really bizarre. They were both single parents. They clarified they didn't want anything too serious. And Dave basically rep- rep- responded, yeah, well, this isn't what we agreed. He said later this message came out of the blue. It was very left field because we'd already talked about that not happening. So can you imagine as well? You're like, you think you've hit the jackpot here with these ladies. And then one of them's like, sure, well, we Both in? of them. Yeah. I mean, they're both uh, sort of not sticking to their word, are they? Which is, uh, mm. it would put me off the old dating sites, I think, obviously. <laughs> Dave's looking for something else, so... uh... 
So Dave was really shocked then because the reply from Carrie became aggressive. So she put back, fine, I hate you. I'm dating someone else. I don't want to see you anymore. Go away. Which I just feel really sad for him. He was really shocked and... And so out of character. Just Mm -hmm. random. Yeah. They'd been like dating for like two, three weeks. That was it. So why is she suddenly doing this to him? And when he got home, she was gone. So he's kind of got home and it's like, oh Christ, like she was being serious. (laughs) Carrie had also disappeared from her house. So her car was gone, but a lot of her belongings were left behind. And this was again, really out of character for her. As was Carrie not phoning or seeing people to tell them her plans in person. So Carrie's mum, Nancy, got a text from Carrie's number claiming she'd left her life behind to embark on a new journey in Kansas. And Nancy was really shocked by this because she knew Carrie had been so settled and happy. She tried to phone her daughter, but Carrie didn't answer. And Carrie's boss also received a message that just basically said, I'm I'm quitting. And that was that. It's not like Carrie. It was her dream job. Many of Carrie's other friends and family members received similar messages. And although they were all sceptical about it, they couldn't really prove that they were illegitimate. Because I don't know if you have kind of listen to all of our episodes Ellie I feel like you probably have Pro- probably twice probably to be three or four times over <laughs> but we say this all the time don't we adults can just disappear you can yeah. leave you can go and There's that's no crime why, yeah that's why you can yeah and I think that's that's why this case is so interesting mm-hmm. because it, it really does highlight that you can just disappear yeah exactly and the police you can you can file a missing persons report but the police don't they don't have much else to go on. If you choose to disappear and you've sent messages saying you're happy, that's that. So two days after the initial breakup exchange and text, Dave got some more messages from Carrie's number saying, I hate you, you've ruined my life, you're a terrible person. And Dave kind of felt like he dodged a bullet at this point. Like she's yeah, you can gone imagine, a bit crazy you? after just three weeks. So it was only when Carrie then failed to show up at her half-brother's wedding day on the 16th of November, three days later, that her mum Nancy reported her missing because this was finally like some real evidence she was really worried about Carrie for whom family was important she knew Carrie was working at her dream job and that Carrie's son so her grandson was a thriving high school student she knew this just wasn't right it's totally out of character and I don't know whether you're going to cover it later but it's worth noting as well that her her dad was really really ill at this point yep. so to miss this sort of big family gathering mm-hmm. that was going to bring them all together yes is, exactly for someone who's a family person I, I know yeah. myself I would never miss that no. for the world no and this is exactly it she um knew that there was all these things going on and we will cover a bit later on about her dad and it just wasn't in character but when she told the police this you know all of this sort of looks legitimate however she then told the police about Carrie's medical history and she felt that they then fixated on this point about being diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, and the fact that she was on medication all the time all the time all of the time yeah um, and she did actually dispute once she mm-hmm. was given that kind of um, diagnosis she did she did, did she? dispute that wow. yeah and, and really didn't believe that that was what mm-hmm. was wrong and I think it's so easy to just kind of you know, GPs are great and everything like that, but, yeah. it, it, but it is easy to just palm it off and mm-hmm. to just, well, that's that, then. Yeah. That's why. And I did like kind of reading up about the fact that she'd got into therapy and also was working on herself as well as using yeah. medication, which I thought was great. So she, it sounded like she was really taking control of her own life and that side of things. Yeah. So really, really sad. So the police told Carrie's mum, don't worry, this sort of thing happens all the time. They said when somebody who's bipolar stops taking their meds, they could behave strangely. And she just felt like they didn't take her seriously. 
The weeks and months went on and Carrie missed events that Nancy felt would have been really important, including her son's birthday. I mean, just a little bit. That was kind of, that was it. Like, yes, Carrie appeared to be active online and sending messages, but investigators couldn't determine that it was actually her behind the messages. And so they did leave the missing persons case open, but they pretty much were convinced that Nan- to tell Nancy that her daughter had just left of her own volition and that was that. Nancy didn't believe it. Carrie had missed Thanksgiving. And then, as you said, she actually missed her dad's funeral. So oh, she. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's... so he passed away and she missed the funeral. Nancy was still getting text messages, but when she begged her daughter to call her so she could hear her voice, she never did. And that to me would really raise alarm that's, bells. That's, yeah. I mean, me and you know, we love a voice note. So, I mean, love if you didn't even voice note me, I'd be a bit worried. <laughs> but I get that. Like, that is a really good thing to kind of be like, who, you know, just let me hear your voice so I know you're actually okay. Carrie's son Max also started getting messages from her saying that she was going to Kansas and coming to get him, but she never showed up. And then the messages to her mum turned nasty. So she told Nancy she wasn't a good mum, she was controlling. I mean, that's really savage. But Nancy noticed that the text would be full of grammatical and punctuation errors, as well as spelling mistakes, which she said was out of character for her daughter, who was, in inverted commas, a stickler for punctuation and spelling, which is just me. Much like myself. <laughs> yeah, that's just, yeah. It's just us, isn't it? My like, parents would know. If I didn't end it with a full stop, they would know. <laughs> Something's wrong. That's not Ellie. I know Mark hates it, because um, sometimes, like, if I was writing emails and stuff, I'd be really lazy, and I wouldn't put a capital letter at the beginning of, like, a name or something, and oh, he'd goodness. get really upset yeah. about that. So I think that would be a really big tell if any of us went missing at least and the messages from Carrie continued to come they were unusual and unexpected messages that really worried Carrie's family and friends and they really upset Dave for Dave the messages continued to be nasty and then they became abusive and soon they were stalkerish kind of to the max the nightmare had just begun and he was due to have his world absolutely turned upside down over the next few years so before we go into a bit more detail about the campaign of stalking that Dave was subjected to over the following years, we're going to hear from this week's show sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. The main focus of the messages that Dave received was Liz. And then she got in touch with Dave to tell him that she was also being sent these horrible messages too. And she even opened up to him about the fact that someone had spray painted whore from Dave on her garage. <laughs> How harsh is that? Like it's... you'd have to clean that up yourself and yeah, it's like something out of a soap, isn't it? It's horrible, like, yeah. Calling her a whore. Absolutely mad. The anger for, for at this moment that is sort of a two-week fling. Mm. It's, it's crazy, just, isn't it? Yeah. And the pair were still casually dating. Some evenings they'd be receiving messages whilst they were sat together on the sofa. Dave began to feel like someone was watching him. He said of one specific occasion... I was sitting on my lazy boy with my feet up, watching TV, trying to relax, and it's night time and I get a text saying, I see you, you're sitting in your chair with your feet propped up wearing a blue shirt, and those things were true. Isn't that so chilling? I It makes my blood run cold. It's a nightmare, like mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare. Um, it's just terrifying. In January 2013, so about two months after the harassment began, Dave noticed a familiar car in a nearby parking lot when he was coming home from work and it looked like Carrie's car and I guess being a 
a mechanic he probably recognized it from the work he'd done or something like that so he went a bit closer and he was sure that the vehicle was carrie's so he took a photo of the license plate and he sent it to the police so they then searched the car and they were only able to find one fingerprint on a tin of mints which didn't match carrie's so every other fingerprint in the car matched carrie's apart from this one they ran the print but the print didn't match anyone in the fbi's database so it was sort of determined that it was her car. It's her car, definitely her car. They I was going to say, can you imagine yeah. if that was your car? And yeah. Some, the police had just raided it and you're sort of like, hang on a minute. <laughs> but I did think that was interesting. They're kind of like, well, yeah, we found her car, but her prints are everywhere. Like, she's yeah. the last one he drove. The only thing is that someone's got given her a tin of mints, but that could just be anybody she's had in her car at yeah. any point has had a mint offer. So it kind of went nowhere at this point, but they'd found her car at least that she'd gone away in. Yeah, and she's meant to be at Ka- in Kansas at this yeah, point, so exactly. surely there's more alarm bells going off at exactly. this point. And this is where the harassment kind of started to really escalate. So messages came through from Carrie threatening to kill Liz. One email sent to Dave included a photograph of a woman tied up in a boot of a car. I mean, that's really scary, isn't it? It's, yeah. So our listeners might remember the episode way back in season one about Jan Falkowski, who I called Jan the whole way through, and I'm so embarrassed about it. Um, And I always find stalkers so incredibly fascinating. So Dr. Jan Falkowski and his then fiance Debbie Pemberton, were terrorised and threatened by Maria Marquez in what detectives described as one of the worst cases of harassment they had ever investigated. And Marquez was jailed for nine years in 2007. So she's out and about now that's terrifying really isn't it i mean Mm -hmm. nine years um for what she did yeah and if you've got the sort of mentality to do that Mm -hmm. you know the next time you fall in love and it doesn't work out is that going to be exactly the same thing or this is where you have to really hope for rehabilitation isn't it and that yeah people in prison are getting the help that they need rather than just a punishment rather yeah rather than just Mm -hmm. being caged sort of yeah think about what they've done to think about what they've done like a naughty child yeah exactly that's what i was thinking like the naughty step like yeah. think about what you've done think about what you've done you imagine trying to rehabilitate like like bella oh from, my god can you uh, imagine from throwing something <laughs> and the messages that were continuing to be sent to dave were horrific one of them said my favorite thing to do is stand outside and stare at you i hate you so much that i want to drive a knife into your heart i will destroy your life and take your happiness i will do what i can to make you suffer we belong together, Dave. I mean, oh, they're just horrible. And Dave would change his phone number, but the messages kept coming. And a lot of the messages did focus on Liz. And she continued to receive more and more messages herself as well. And six months into his mum's disappearance, Max decided to message his mum's Facebook account to see what would happen. And she messaged back pretty quickly and asked how he was. So I thought this was really, really clever. He asked her to answer three questions that would prove it was really her sending the messages. Very clever. What a legend. So he said, what was his middle name? What was the name of their first dog? And what his best friend's name was? Which I just thought was brilliant. That, yeah, that clever is. Clever Matt. He didn't get a reply. Well, are we, are we shocked? <laughs> mm, I mean, I'm wondering if our listeners can kind of guess what's happening here, but 
like he just didn't get a reply to that message and that was that and his, the I mean Carrie's family are really they've been nervous from the very beginning thinking this wasn't Carrie and this yeah. is kind of all of the evidence is stacking up now and for Max as well six months with no word from your mum oh uh, no the manipulation of saying sort of like oh I'm going to come and pick you up mm-hmm. and we're going to live in Kansas and then she never turns up I yeah. assume he's living with Nancy at this point I'm um, not sure for definite I don't know whether he was with his dad potentially um, yeah or whether he was with Nancy I don't really even know if Nancy was particularly talking to Dave either or anything like this whether no. any of their wires were crossing there was no so, connection and that's I potentially don't... why this was allowed to go on for, yeah. for so long because if it maybe if Nan- um, not Nancy if Carrie and Dave had been dated a bit longer he might have known Nancy or he might have known about Max in more than just a I have a son My and son. here we go maybe they could have connected some dots a little bit sooner but it it does feel very separate doesn't it like it Dave's does. having a harassment campaign and Carrie's family are just having nope I'm gone yeah it's yeah really mad and the abuse and harassment continued for Dave and Liz. In August 2013, Liz's house burned down, and in the fire, it killed her family pets, That's including awful. two dogs, <laughs> yeah. a cat, and her snake. It's just terrible. It's horrible, isn't it? And fire investigators believed it was arson, so Liz immediately told police she suspected Carrie Farber was the culprit. And then the repair shop where Dave worked was vandalised, and he often felt like someone had been in his apartment. It's getting more and more sort of twisted now yeah, isn't it really yeah. dave got more and more nervous and eventually he bought a gun because he was so paranoid so he bought a nine millimeter smith and western pistol i mean you know you're terrified yeah. when you're doing something like that one night dave was spending the evening with his friend called heather and he showed her the crazy amount of messages that he kept receiving and as they watched his phone go off repeatedly he heard someone try the front door handle and when they were in bed that night, a brick was thrown through the window. What an absolute Casanova. He is such you know a Casanova, I mean? though, isn't he? <laughs> this is the third lady in the story. He's, yeah, and that's the third that we know about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's being harassed by this crazy woman. He's mm-hmm. had the, you know, Liz wasn't exactly normal. And now he's gone, oh, just crack on with another one. See so how that Heather goes. Heather was an old friend, I think. An old friend from okay. college or something as of well. Course. So mm-hmm. Maybe he's gone, was. I don't want to, I don't want to do like online dating anymore. Let's just go back to sleep just... there. I don't know. <laughs> and it wasn't even just Dave and Liz who were receiving messages. So Amy, the mother of Dave's children, who he had kind of broken up with and he'd left to go start this new life, she then started receiving threatening messages from Carrie as well. So it's almost like any woman that's involved with him. Near him, yeah. By 2015, it had been over two years since Carrie had gone missing and had begun stalking Dave and sending abuse to him and anyone close to him. So two new detectives, Detectives Ryan Avis and Jim Doty of the County Sheriff's Office, took on the case to reassess this with fresh eyes. They had heard of the case as it had been discussed around the office and they kind of volunteered to investigate because they said it was really interesting. And the two detectives decided to approach the case from completely different angles. One was going to investigate as though they were working it with a missing person, and the other would work it like Carrie was dead, which I just thought was a brilliant idea. Really brilliant. Because you've got to then convince the other person with your evidence, and then they've got to try and convince you of the otherwise. So I thought that was great. So Avis later explained their plan, saying, Jim's going to work it like she's dead, and I'm going to work it like she's alive. I'm going to try and prove every which way that I can that Carrie's still out there, and Jim is going to try and prove every which way he can that she is not. So they kind of just started right from the beginning again. And then this is where the the case just goes even weirder and crazier for Dave, as if it wasn't bad enough. Yeah, life's not great for him at the moment, is it? No. So 
The main thing the detectives found alarming was that there was no transactions on Carrie's bank accounts from the whole time since she was last seen. If someone chooses to run away, they still need to spend money. And the detectives were aware of Carrie's father's bipolar diagnosis, but they just didn't think that that had anything to do with her disappearance. God, that storm is so noisy it's now. I'm so, so sorry, guys, if this, is <laughs> if this is too noisy. It's, like, turned. But I think it's really refreshing to see that there are some detectives out there who mm-hmm. aren't just going with the information that's on paper and perhaps yeah. trying to look a little bit further. Definitely. So Avis said, it's not normal for adults to just up and leave and literally spend no money. No one's seen them, no one's heard their voice. It just didn't make sense. She had good income, a good house. I had come to the conclusion that I could not prove that she was actually alive. The detectives were immediately interested in Liz Goyler, who seemed to have a slight crossover in Dave's life with Carrie, but had barely known the other woman, yet was this major focus in all the messages. In May that year, the pair headed to see Nancy, Carrie's mum. So the pair being the detectives, sorry, not yeah. Dave and Liz. That would have been um, an awkward dinner. Very awkward. So Carrie's mum was really grateful someone was finally listening to her. And they told her they believed her claims that her daughter was missing. Something had happened to her. And she said when she heard the words, I just want you to know, I don't think she left of her own free will. She really felt like something was finally going to happen. And this is like a good couple of years yeah. after as well. So it's awful. That must it's like be... three years later. I mean, the fact that she's left no kind of trail with money or mm-hmm. anything like that. I guess she could come, perhaps she's using a different identity, but she's clearly not because she's still messaging on her Facebook yeah, pages. on her Facebook. She's not trying to be a different person. Her mobile number's still the same word still and stuff the same like that. Facebook. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And during this interview, Nancy gave the investigators another link with Liz Goyler. So she told them that after Carrie had disappeared in 2012, Nancy received a text saying that Carrie had sold all her furniture and asked her to let the buyer into the house to pick it all up. As supposed proof of the sale, Nancy received a photo of a cheque for that furniture and it was made out to Carrie Father, signed by Shanna Golia. And the detectives knew that Liz's real name was Shanna. So it was just yet another connection between these two women who supposedly were strangers. She apparently had only met her in passing in this hallway, yet she'd at least been involved in helping Carrie move out. Surely Liz must know more than she was letting on. Yeah, and well, you know, to be in her house with all her belongings yeah. and to sell them is a really final thing to yeah. be doing. That's like, you would help your friend do that. You wouldn't yeah. do that with a random stranger of the guy that you're dating. No. Kind of thing. Definitely weird. not. The only forms of communication that anyone had received from Carrie were electronic. So Doty and Avis asked their colleague, who was a digital forensics exam- administrator, for help. That's a mouthful as well. Yes, there's a lot of those today. I yeah. <laughs> During the initial investigation, both Dave and Liz had agreed to have their content of their phones downloaded. So working on the premise that Carrie was not sending the messages, the de- detectives kind of began to look at the person who was writing as her. So they realised in total this person had sent Dave about 15,000 email messages over a three-year span and over 50,000 messages of other forms, so emails, texts, etc. in total, so social media messages, everything, like over 50,000. Who's got time? I know. Who on earth has mm-hmm. got time to it's be sending crazy. those? The amount of time that this person was using up to do this, I don't know how they did anything it's else in an their obsession. life. It's yeah. They realised that whoever was pretending to be Carrie got more and more sophisticated in what they were trying to do to hide their IP address, to hide their real identity as the years went on. 
But Liz's phone began to reveal more and more, so they approached the couple again. And they once again asked, would they be okay with downloading all the content of their phones? So they basically said that this initial purpose was to try and see if they could locate the area from where Carrie or whoever was pretending to be Carrie was sending these messages. Nothing new was found from Dave's phone. However, on Liz's phone, the investigators found a photo of Carrie's car in Liz's phone and it was proven from metadata to have been taken a month before Dave found the car and then told the police and the police even knew about its existence. Yeah. We're, we're concluding here, aren't mm, we? we? Just uh, a little bit. Because they took their phones before, didn't they, to yeah. have a look? Mm-hmm. Um, so and they were, they they were more than happy up. for them to kind of yeah. like have this and they had all this information, but... This is like, yeah, three years later, they were kind of like, can we do it again? And both of them agreed quite Which is quite, quite humorous, really, yeah. that, that Liz was kind of like, yeah, I got away with it. You know, yeah, I exactly. Can, and now you know, she's given her phone over. With these photos, and then all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So there were also six phone calls made to Carrie's home from Liz Golia's phone, which she used a prefix to, describe, to disguise the number. And Liz had stated she'd only met Carrie one time passing her through a hallway. So why was she phoning her? With all of this information stacking up against Golia, investigators began looking deeper into her and they decided to kind of play along with her and they played along with this acting scheme to get her to confess to her crimes. It wasn't long before Golia played her next move, telling the detectives she now believed it was Amy, Dave's ex, who was sending her the messages instead of Carrie. And at around the same time in December 2015, Dave realised that the pistol he'd purchased for protection was missing and he reported it stolen to the police. On the 4th of December, Liz Golia arrived at the station to file a harassment complaint against Dave Creeper's ex-girlfriend, Amy, and the detectives headed to Golia's house to interview her, pretending her that to her that it was about her complaint. So she then told them she thought it was Amy, not Carrie, and once again, she had agreed to submit the contents of her phone for review. And then during that conversation, she mentioned that she knew Dave's gun, which she correctly identified as a 9mm Smith & Weston, was missing, and said that she thought Amy had stolen it. The next day, Golia rang 911, claiming she'd been shot in the leg whilst walking alone at night in Big Lake Park in Council, in Council Bluffs, and investigators said Golia at first claimed she didn't know who the culprit was, later she said she thought it was Amy. And it seems really crazy to kind of suspect someone of shooting themselves to frame someone, but then equally you've got to then also realise that potentially this woman set fire to her own home and killed her own pets. Yeah, and I, th- I think the crazy thing is, you know, if it really was Amy, would she really be going for kind of the juicy part of the leg as opposed <laughs> to, you know, if you're going to shoot someone to silence them, you're going to shoot them to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, not... Not the leg. Yeah, not as yeah. I so graciously put in the, in the, the juicy, juicy, part. juicy thigh. Juicy, juicy part of their leg. And the police were really quickly able to determine that it was most likely that Liz had actually shot herself. So everything was just really stacking up against her. The investigators continued to look at the phone info from Golia's phone and found a photo of a woman who'd been tied up. The photo that had been emailed to Dave Kruper, so they determined that this picture had been taken on Golia's phone. And they also discovered a video recording that showed someone walking outside of Dave Creeper's apartment, which had been uploaded to YouTube under Carrie Farber's name, but was tied to an IP address registered to Golia's house. When they brought Golia in for questioning, police searched her apartment and they found some of Carrie's possessions, including a digital camera and a camcorder. It's just getting worse and worse for her now, isn't it? Yeah, things aren't looking great for old Liz. 
There was also evidence that Liz Gollier had at least 20 to 30 fake email accounts and she had an app on her phone which allowed text messages to be scheduled for a future time. So this explained how she could be with Dave and then both of their phones would get bombarded with messages. And they realised, and this is so mental like we were talking about, she must have been spending about 40 to 50 hours a week, which is more than some people do as a job. That's a full-time job. It is, it's more than a full-time job. Impersonating Carrie. That is just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, get a life springs to mind, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest. Completely. Goya was still trying to convince the detectives that Amy was behind the campaign of stalking, and so they came up with another little plan. And I love these guys, because they've obviously gone, she's an idiot, let's try and trick her a different way. So they told her that they believed her, and they pretended to be on her side. And they said, oh, we haven't got enough information, but perhaps if you could reach out to Amy, Amy might actually incriminate herself. And honestly, I just think she's so stupid. She had no idea that she was their main suspect in Carrie Farber's disappearance. And she just fell for it like hook, line and sinker. Golia sent Amy an email and immediately started forwarding emails to the detectives, which were supposedly from Amy, in which she confessed to the shooting. Just openly confessed. Yep, just, yep. yeah, it was me. Sorry. Can you imagine if it was that easy to catch criminals? Just be like, <laughs> hiya. It wasn't it as well. So Golia then further incriminated herself when in further emails... Amy also confessed to stabbing Carrie three to four times in the chest and stomach and stuffing her body into a garbage bag. And that email was particularly graphic and it was kind of like, it was definitely things that only the killer really would know. As time went on, Goya grew increasingly upset that the police still hadn't arrested Amy. And they told her they just needed more specific information that only the killer would know. And again, she's just fallen for this. Right well, like right where they want her to be. They're like reeling her in and she's just feeding them all this information so lo and behold after this conversation amy got in touch with her again it's not really a shock anymore is it these follow-up confession emails included that carrie father had been stabbed to death in her own car which gave the police a crime scene um so they went back to carrie's car and this time they pulled the fabric off the passenger seat and when they uncovered this they found a red stain which was soon determined to be carrie father's blood and it kind of, if you see the picture as well, like where the bloodstains are, it works in really well with the whole chest and stomach where she'd been yeah. stabbed as well. Finally, they had enough to charge her. And so Shanna Liz Golia was charged with first degree murder on the 22nd of December, 2016. Authorities believed that Golia had killed Carrie and then burned her remains so as to get rid of all the evidence. And as she resided in Omaha at the time, they also think that that's where the crime was committed. But because Carrie's body's never been found and Goya has not told them any of the truth about what happened or any detail, this is kind of just supposition. And it was at this point that poor Dave really had the rug pulled out from under his feet because he was now told that the woman he was currently dating was actually the person who'd been stalking him for over four years. The woman he was with had had burned down her own house, in the process had killed her own pets, and she'd shot herself in the leg and his ex Carrie had been dead this whole time. It's just tragic, isn't it's it? It's horrible. I... Like how he must have felt to hear all of this. Yeah, just you never know someone. It's it is quite scary, isn't it? It's absolutely mad. The evidence continued to stack up against Liz Golia. So a few months before the trial was set to begin in 2017, Dave remembered he had a random tablet in storage, and he gave the police it. On this tablet, they found thousands of deleted images that they were able to recover that had come off a SD card that was um, actually known to be Golia's as well. So these photos included ones of what appeared to be decomposing body parts, and one was a foot with a tattoo of a Chinese symbol, and it was the same as Carrie's. 
It's odd, isn't it? Because it's almost like quite sick because it's like she wants to remember this. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking yeah. the photos. I think, you know, I'm not saying I would, but if I was to kill someone, I think the last thing I'd be thinking about was, oh, I'll just take a quick quick few photos yeah. of the body. I wonder if she if she thought she'd need evidence to then tell him like when she then changed her mind it was Amy and did she want to yeah. then send a picture saying well, Carrie's dead sent. and he's going to be next or what was she yeah like what was she thinking what was the reason for it and it's kind of impossible to know because she still hasn't admitted any of this Liz Gollier's defence attorney requested to waive a jury trial in favour of a bench trial which meant the judge would decide the case and he later explained this decision by saying not only was there no body there was no crime scene there was no murder weapon there was no proof that she'd even died we waived the jury trial to move it up so I could try this case hopefully before they'd find a body so he's quite a smart defence attorney I get what he's saying here yeah however it is a lot of circumstantial evidence here, and that is still evidence, so... Yeah, and it's a, a lot of very clear... Yeah, <laughs> just a bit. The Douglas County attorney for the prosecution said, this was by far the most difficult case I've ever tried. Most homicides are dark. This one was bizarre, to the point where it would take some convincing to make somebody believe that it actually happened. There's no way that someone would let their dog die in a fire that they started, and there's no way that someone would shoot themselves in the femur. Or the juicy bit of the leg, as Ellie Ellie would describe (laughs) it as. And at trial, she she painted Golia as a diabolical and cruel woman who killed Carrie Father and then spent years violently harassing others. Golia's defence argued that all the evidence from the state was circumstantial, that at one point Golia had been considered a victim in all of this and Carrie Father's body had not been found. But this just wasn't good enough and the judge found Golia guilty. Douglas County Judge Timothy Burns found Goya guilty of first-degree murder on May the 24th, 2017, and said, Carrie Father did not voluntarily disappear and drop off the face of the earth. Very sadly, she was murdered. The court finds beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant intentionally killed Carrie Father with deliberate and premeditated malice. Which I just think is so good that he's just gone, no chance. Like, this is, this is clear. And I do think as well, like, if there'd been a jury trial, I don't think there would have been any different... No, there would have been no doubt with that. They would have said there's reasonable doubt. Because is it not bizarre that the messages have now stopped? Yeah, exactly. So if Carrie really is still out there, why has she suddenly mm-hmm. conveniently stopped messaging? Exactly. And if it's Amy, why would she suddenly stop now? And yeah. it's just, yeah, it's clear. And I think this kind of sums it up as well from Dave. So he said, I don't think it even sunk in when I heard her pronounce guilty. It was surreal. If I read this book, I wouldn't believe it. And it is. It's like something out of a novel. Yeah, it's like a BBC drama, mm-hmm. isn't it? Carrie Father's mum, Nancy, talked of her relief at the guilty verdict and she said how pleased she was that Carrie's name had been cleared finally. She remembered her daughter as a loving mum and a hard worker. And she said she always knew she would just never have abandoned her family. And I think it's having her name cleared must have been a really big thing for her. Absolutely, and and to clear her of all these kind of claims that had come mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the blame on the mental health side yep. and all of this. Exactly. It, it really does give them some form of closure, although unfortunately there is no body. Yeah. She said, she loved life, I just wish she could have had more of it, which I thought was really sad. And yeah. when she was asked how she wanted her daughter to be remembered, Nancy said, as the fun-loving, talented, smart woman that she was... Carrie was only 37 when she died. If I could talk to Carrie right now, I'd say, I love you. I'm so glad that you're in my life. You have a beautiful son who's got a wonderful life coming and I miss you terribly. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's so tragic. Really sad. 
In a statement, the Omaha Police Department said, the unusual nature of this case and the great lengths that Shanna Golia went to to hide this homicide undoubtedly perplexed everyone involved. The investigation between the police department and the county sheriff's office resulted in the successful prosecution of Shanna Golia and brought to light an extreme level of deception that law enforcement rarely encounters. And I think that is what kind of stands out about this case, isn't it? It's so unusual. It, it like, really thank God is. it is. But uh, yeah. This has gone just so much further than your standard stalking kind of Yeah, and I think with kind of social media becoming more and more Mm -hmm. of a sort of centre point in people's lives, this sort of thing, I don't think this is going to be the end, unfortunately. I think it's just going to get worse and worse. Definitely. Because it's so easy to set up a fake profile or to to log in as someone else or to hack someone's Facebook. I mean, I work from home and I don't think, you know, if I didn't have sort of Teams calls or anything like that, I don't think anyone would know if it was me behind the computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That'd be nice, really. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else says you work for you, but yeah, yeah, no, that's it, exactly. Dave described the detectives who solved the case as his heroes, and he said, Doty, Avis, Carver, they're all heroes. Those guys, they mean the world to me. I can't thank them enough. They're my boys. I love doing his little bits. I wish I could do a good American accent, and I'd be like, yeah. they're my boys, but <laughs> I don't think I should. I think that's probably not going to work very well. <laughs> I wonder if they see him that way as well. I, yeah. I can't imagine. I imagine oh, case closed. Goodbye. Exactly. And Liz Golia remains incarcerated at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women. But to this day, she maintains her innocence and claims that Carrie Farver's real killer is still out there. She told author Leslie Rule in letters that she sent from prison, I will not stop fighting until I am set free and they find the right person. So she's still trying to it's lie crazy. about this. Absolutely crazy. I mean, she's now saying, you know, oh, yeah, she's admitting that Carrie's sort of dead, but no blame, when all the evidence points to her. Mm -hmm. So, my final note about this case, because I didn't want Liz Golia to have the last word, is that the investigative team who worked tirelessly to solve the case, so Special Deputy Anthony Carver, Investigator Jim Doty, and Deputy Ryan Avis, they decided to set up a scholarship fund in the memory of Carrie at the local community college that she'd attended, which I just love. It's just adorable, isn't it? It's so cute, isn't it? So, with support from the Pottawatomie County Community Foundation, the scholarship fund provides $1,000 every year to support in Iowa Western Community College students who are pursuing computer and information technology. So what she was really interested in and the job that she did. When the fund was announced, Carver said, the best, the thing that bugged me the most out of this case is if you search Carrie's name online, you'll find the person that harmed her, not a lot of information about Carrie. This scholarship is something we can do, even if it's small, to have something positive out there, which I just thought was lovely and the perfect note to kind of end the show on. Yeah, because I like really, to do that. I like. To I do know you do. Well. I That's like to finish nicely. Always have a happy end. They have to. I think it's really good because it's something as well for her son to hold on to as well. I mean, yeah. He's he's got no grave he can go mm-hmm. to. He's got no. But to have this and to have this in his his mother's name must be yeah. so important for his kind of recovery and grief process. So there we go. Thank you very much for suggesting this case because it's You're so very interesting. Welcome. Yeah, it just shows the dangers of social media mm-hmm. and, and the kind of, the crazy thing that you don't actually know who you're talking no, to. that um, is what's worrying, isn't and it? And there's loads of cases with kind of online dating and, you know, mm-hmm. catfish and all that. But this really does take it to the extreme. It so really does. Thank you so much for, for covering it for me. And thank you for joining me. Thank you're you very for welcome. stepping into Mark's shoes <laughs> for the episode.
been really good fun. I hope you want to come back and do it again another of time. Course. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. More holidays for Mark, I think. I think we'll just send him off on holiday for the whole year and then yes. we'll just... There we go. Right, thank you very much, everybody. And thank you for listening. So it will be me and Mark back next week. Um, but we'll have Ellie back again. So get in touch on social media. Let us know what your thoughts were on the episode. Um, and yeah, give Ellie some feedback. We need constructive <laughs> criticism. <laughs> but be nice. Please. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, don't forget to check out our show sponsor, which is Wine52. And if you have already, or if you do decide to check them out, please do share which wines you're having and what you like about them, what you don't like, because I love knowing if people think a good wine is worth me buying. So I will continue to share which ones I like. And um, yeah, let us know if you do sign up to them. We will see you again next time. And that's it for us. Goodbye. Bye.